Well, please turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. And as you turn there, just, uh, just so you are aware of this, we're going to be uh, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, uh, right before Christmas. So I think we'll start that the 23rd, and we'll look at Isaiah 9 on the 23rd, and then our Christmas Eve service a little bit on the, the 24th, and then also on the 30th. And so you want to, you want to read in there about the child who's born to us, and, and about the, the beauty that is the light of Jesus, and kind of be meditating on that as we prepare uh, for the, the Christmas season. Galatians chapter 3, we're entering a, a new section of the book of Galatians. Paul has been kind of giving us some autobiographical details that help us understand the true gospel. And now we come into Galatians 3 and we see more and more about the content of the true gospel and how we, how, how the Galatians and how we by extension, are to live in light of that gospel message. And so if you're able to, if you'd stand with me, as we read the first section here of Galatians, I'll be uh, looking here at the uh, first few verses, the first six verses of Galatians chapter 3. Paul says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. You may be seated. May God instruct us through his word this morning. And, and Father, we do pray for your grace as we look at these, these verses. Help us to live uh, rightly as, as we think about you, about your call upon our life, and, and about how we are to continue to live by faith in your Son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, as we start talking about holiness this morning, let me, let me give you a couple of statements that I, I think that we would all agree with. I think we would all agree with the statement that holiness is important, that holiness, devotion to God, perfect devotion to God, and his glory is important. I don't, I don't think any of us would stand up and say, no, I, I disagree with that if we're believers. But I wonder if we understand how important holiness is. J.C. Ryle, in his book that I've mentioned uh, several times, his book Holiness, it was first published in 1879, he kind of gave several reasons that holiness is so important. A couple of them, he said, we must be holy because the voice of God in Scripture plainly commands it. He said that holiness is important because it is the one grand end and the purpose for which Christ came into the world. Ephesians 5 says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her. He might make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Our holiness is the reason that Christ came into the world and died on the cross for his glory. 
Holiness is the evidence of our faith in Christ, that, that we're children of God. And without holiness, you and I are not prepared to enter heaven. So I think if I said this morning, holiness is important, all of us would say, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think also this morning, we would all say that we are not holy as we ought to be. In other words, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to stand up this morning and say, excuse me, Daniel, I, I think I do I have holiness pretty much figured out. And if anyone wants to see me after church and understand uh, holiness and all its perfections, uh, I will be happy to help you. I don't think any of us would say right now we are holy as we ought to be. And furthermore, I think all of us would say that the journey from where we are right now in terms of holiness and tr- to, to where we need to be, I think all of us would say that's difficult. It's, it's a struggle growing in holiness, what we call sanctification, being more and more devoted to God and to his glory, being more and more conformed to the image of his son, I think that we would all say this is hard, that the struggle with our flesh is real. Paul in Romans 7 would say in verse 15, I don't understand my actions. I don't do what I I want, I do the very thing I hate. And then he would say in verse 18, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And I I would imagine that most of us this morning would say, "I, I, I feel that struggle. I believe that holiness is important, and I recognize that I'm not where I need to be in terms of holiness, but in terms of of growing in holiness and, and the sanctification, it's tough. I keep sinning in ways I don't desire to sin. That struggle in my flesh is still very much a real struggle. But given that it's an important struggle to have, how do we undergo it? The temptation that we face is the temptation to rely upon our own works. Or to say, okay, um, I, I want to be holy, and I look at what holy people do. Holy people read their Bibles, and, and holy people uh, talk nicely to their children, and holy people listen to, to good music on the radio and, or on their, um, uh, their iPods or on their, their cell phones or whatever, and, and good people uh, good people watch certain TV shows, or good, really holy people don't even have TVs. And so we look at the things that holy people do, and we say, I'm, I'm going to do those things. I'm going I'm to start talking nicely to my children. I'm going to, to uh, be a, a good friend to my, my peers at school. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna do all these right things, and, and I can be holy as well. And yet, as we do those things, as we struggle, as we we say, well, I'm going to serve. You know, I, I know that holy people serve in children's Sunday school, so I'm going to do that. I'm, I know that holy people dress a certain way, and so I'm going to dress that way. And, and we find ourselves still struggling with our flesh because we believe that it, those things are the means by which we'll grow in holiness. We come here to a passage in Galatians, and the people that Paul is writing to are struggling with the same thing that you and I struggle with. And some people have come to them, they've said, look, if, if you really want to do this Christian life thing right, here's what you need to do. You need to be circumcised. 
because you need to follow the law and become Jewish, and, and you need to do the things that God says to do here in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in, in the prophets, do these things, get circumcised, begin to follow the law, and then you'll rightly begin to pursue holiness, sanctification being set apart. And Paul hears about this teaching, and he is, is shocked that the Galatians are listening to it that they're entertaining that idea. That people that have, have come to and told them you need to, to be circumcised, you need to, to place your hope for your relationship with God on your works, he hears that that, that teaching is, is gaining ground and he's, he's deeply, deeply disturbed by it. And as we come to this text, there's, there's a couple questions that I want us to ask ourselves. First of all, do we truly value holiness? In other words, we're not just going to say, yeah, I think holiness is good, but this morning would you say, Daniel, I value holiness. I truly want sin to be defeated in my life. I no longer want to, to walk as though I'm a slave to sin. I want victory over sin in my life. Would you say that's your desire this morning? You want devotion to God, holiness to characterize you. Would you say that's, that's what you passionately desire this morning? And secondly, if that is something you desire, do you know how to pursue it? Do you know the means that God has given you to pursue holiness? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And here's, here's something, a great, uh, a great, I, I, a great quote from J.C. Ryle. He's talking about people in his own day again, and, and he, he, says, he says this in uh, his work, Holiness. He says, true holiness we surely ought to remember does not consist merely of, of inward sensations and emotions. And so he's talking about people in his own day who, who desired to pursue holiness and they were, they were affected by, by, by these emotional services and, and things like this and, and feelings. And he says, look, it's, it's more than that. It's more than, than bodily excitement. It's more than a quickened pulse and, and passionate feeling. He says what happens is we pursue holiness is that others are able to observe in our private life, in our habits, in our character, in our doings, that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. So how do we do that? Here's, here's kind of the main idea that I want us to think about this morning. My hope for holiness, okay? If I hope for holiness, and I hope each of us do, my hope for holiness is not found in striving in my flesh, but in striving in my spirit, and as we go through this this morning, you're going to see sometimes the difference between striving in the flesh and striving in the spirit, it, it, it feels like those things are very, very close, and yet they could not be further apart. We're going to talk about what that looks like as we go through this text. We're going to look at two statements, and then hopefully we're going to have some time to kind of talk about some principles that help us think rightly about these statements. For those of us who are serious about winning the battle against sin and being devoted to God and his holiness, here are some things to help us. Number one, number one, here's the first thing. You can no more sanctify yourself in the present than you could save yourself in the past. That's the first thing Paul says here. Paul is going to talk to them about things that happened in their past in terms of how they were saved and say, look, look, right now, you can no more right now sanctify yourself here in the present than you were able to save yourself in terms of salvation, justification in the past. Look at how this passage begins. Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he asks a series of questions as we go through this, this passage to help 
help kind of shake the, the people that he's writing to and help them rightly understand what he's, what he's saying. And it's kind of this rhetorical device that he uses. And, and notice that he begins here with some strong words. He, he calls them fools. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians. And, and he's saying, you're acting in a way that's not in accordance with wisdom. And then he, he says, the first question, who has bewitched you? It has some sort of sorcerer come and, and cast a spell on you that has caused you to not think rightly? You, he says, who, who, who saw Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I came to you. And, and we talked about all this. Remember, he's just said at the end of chapter 2, he says, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he says, you've believed this. I came to you. I shared the gospel with you. We talked about who Jesus Christ is and his absolute perfection and what he did on the cross to, to perfectly deal with the sin that you were not able to deal with, that you could not deal with in order to obtain God's righteousness. And we all agreed on this, guys. Remember, we all agreed that we're saved, not on the basis of things that we do, but we are saved, we are justified, we are brought into relationship with God through, through faith, through trusting in the work that he's done, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. We, we talked about all this. And you sense in the questions frustration, right? I, I've entered a very uh, sad stage of, of parenthood, fatherhood. Um, I, I've entered the stage where, you know, when, when the kids were young, let me just start there. When, when the kids were young, I was, I was dad, you know. Like, um, I was the dad who could operate the remote control, okay? We sat down on the couch to watch TV, and, and the kids would say, Dad, can we watch TV? And I would say, yes. And then I'd, oh, and I'd open up the remote control, and I'd turn on the TV, and, Dad, play this. Oh, yes, I'll play that. And I'd turn on the DVD or whatever it was, and I was the guy who, I was the entertainment man. I could, I could make the TV work. And, and now I've entered the stage of, of fatherhood that uh, my father entered before me and his father before him, where <laughs> it's, it's become painfully obvious I don't know what I'm doing with remote control. And I, I, for, for a couple of years, I was able to fake it. Like, oh yeah, I meant to turn off the TV. And, um, but, but now the kids know. And, and every time, the, Dad, uh, and I still, because I'm star, I still maintain ownership of the remote control when we're all on the couch. And uh, Dad, turn on this. I turn on Netflix. Dad, 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 no, no. You, you press star, then the red key, and then, and then 22, and then you press that. Like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I just uh, want to turn off the TV because that means some, some quiet time. Um, <laughs> And now it's gotten to the point where whenever I, whenever I, I pick up the remote, there's this sigh, uh, you know, from the, from the kids on the couch. Or, um, or as, I, as I make a mistake, you just hear, they, they, uh, there's this groaning, there's this frustration. Dad, we told you, we, here's how you turn on the TV, okay? There's this groaning, this sigh, we've gone over this before. And you sense this, this groaning, this frustration on the part of Paul. Look, this is, this is, this is foolishness. I, 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 we've, we've gone over who Jesus Christ is. And, and then he asks the, a series of three questions. And, and listen to what the questions are. The first question, and, and by the way, as, as he lays out these three additional questions, they're, they're questions that should cause them to concede his point, to say, okay, Paul, we recognize you're right. Because of what happened in the past, right now in the present, we can't pursue sanctification through circumcision, through our own works. First question, he says, 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How, how did you get the Spirit? On the, in the past, how did you get the Spirit? How were you converted? He's talking about receiving the Spirit through conversion. All believers have the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, We've received not the Spirit of the world, but, but we, believers, have the Spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Romans 8, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 2 Corinthians 5, 5, he's prepared for us this very, he who has prepared this, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who what? Has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. All believers have the Spirit. And how does a believer acquire the Spirit? Is it through works? No, it's, it's through faith. The Spirit, it's a gift. God gives the Spirit to us as a divine gift. We receive the gift of salvation through faith. The Spirit enables us to receive. Remember in Acts chapter 8, there's that story of Simon the magician. And, and Simon the magician sees the, the work of the Holy Spirit that the apostles are doing. And what does he say? He says, hey, uh, I've got some money. Can I buy it? And what does Peter say? He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God. That's the Spirit. You thought you could obtain the gift of God through money. The Spirit is a gift of God. And what Paul is saying with his first question is, look, in the past, how did you get the Spirit? Did you work for him? Did you offer money for the Spirit? Did you, did you become a Jew to get the Spirit? What, what did you do to get the Spirit? Answer, nothing. The Holy Spirit is a gift. So that's the first question. How did you receive the Spirit in the past? And then he says this, his second question Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You, you begin by the Spirit. The Christian life begins to receive the new life by the work of the Spirit. Titus 3.5 says that God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the, of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is given to us. And if you begin by the Spirit, if your life begins by the Spirit regenerating you, by giving you new life, if that's how it begins... Are you now, Paul says, being perfected by the flesh? If life is given to you by the work of the Spirit, why on earth, Paul is saying in this question, would you now try the flesh? The flesh refers in Scripture to, to several things. It's, it's our human nature. It's our old self before the Spirit regenerated us. It's our, our physical body, our mind, our hearts. All those things are part of what Scripture refers to as the flesh. So what's Paul's point? Paul says, you began by the Spirit. And now, remember, we're all here, and we all recognize we want to be here in terms of holiness. Paul says, you began this new life by the Spirit, and now you have a new strategy for fighting the flesh, and your new strategy for fighting the flesh and arriving at holiness is not the Spirit, but it's the flesh. Paul says, that's, that's, that's crazy. What made you think that that was going to be an effective strategy? You acknowledged that you didn't have in and of yourself the ability to, to save yourself. 
why are you so deluded in thinking that now that you've been saved, you can sanctify yourself? It's ridiculousness. And then the third question he has here, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? And that word suffer can also mean experienced, but I think what he's saying here is you, you affirm the gospel, you receive the Spirit, Spirit who's enabled you to, to persevere in suffering, and, and you've held it to justification by faith alone, despite opposition. And why have all that suffering be in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So, three questions. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, by hearing with faith? And then that next question kind of goes together. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And then Third question, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? What's, what's his point? You couldn't get the Holy Spirit for salvation based upon your own works. Neither can you earn the Holy Spirit or on your own do the things that are necessary to move from where you are now to where you need to be. You, you can't do that on the basis of, of your own flesh. And the Galatians' flirtation with the law represents a, a, a danger to their spiritual growth. It's interesting, right? Sometimes we think salvation is a really important thing, and sanctification is it's pretty important, but salvation is the main thing. As Paul, as he just kind of lays into them, you see sanctification and getting this right is, is crucial to Paul because what? He recognizes the value of holiness. And he says, the method that you're trying to employ to become holy is not going to be effective. And brothers and sisters, you know this. You and I are also tempted to rely upon our own flesh, to put our confidence for sanctification in our own flesh. We want to fight the flesh with the flesh. There's a book published uh, right as I graduated high school. There, there's lots of examples of this, and, and it's, it can be subtle, right? But there's a, a book published right as I graduated high school and kind of began college, and when in college I worked at a Christian bookstore, and I was involved in, in youth ministry, and, and maybe some of you uh, grew up with, with this, this book in your youth group and, and life as well. It's called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Did you ever hear of that, that book? It was, it was a book that was kind of designed to help people as they were, were dating, and, and the idea, or not dating. It was trying to help them as they didn't date, and, and it addressed a real problem, right? The real problem was that uh, young people were uh, approaching relationships in a way that, that did not honor God. High schoolers, college people, single adults, they're approaching, they're approaching relationships in a way that, that didn't honor God, didn't glorify him. So this book was designed to say, hey, don't date, here's some principles you need to do, and, and these are the things you do, and if you do these things, if you, you do these things, then you can be confident that you'll have a, a life that glorifies God. You'll have a marriage relationship that, that wasn't scarred by all the scars that dating causes and all that sort of thing. Well, the author, Joshua Harris, uh, recently came out and said, you know what, I was way off base. He told the publisher to, to, to stop publishing the book. And listen to what he, he wrote about what he had written. <laughs> he says, in an effort to set a high standard, uh, I kissed dating goodbye, the book, emphasized practices, not dating, not kissing before marriage, and concepts like giving your heart away, that he says they're, they're not in the Bible. They're not in the Bible. 
And in trying to warn people of the potential pitfalls of dating, the, the book instilled fear for some, fear of making mistakes or having their heart broken. And, and the book also gave the impression that a certain methodology of relationships would deliver a happily ever after ending, a great marriage, a great sex life, even though this is not promised by Scripture. The bottom line, this book, he says, didn't work in fighting the flesh. It provided some things to do, but it didn't deal with the flesh. Now, treating brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in holiness, biblical principle, pursuing sexual activity only in the context of marriage, good thing, that's what you should do. But the idea that holiness can be pursued in our flesh, by our flesh, not a good understanding. You say, well, hold on, Daniel, hold on, hold on. I'm confused. Are, are you saying we shouldn't do things? Are you saying I, I shouldn't strive to do some things? And if, if I want to do some things, putting some principles in my life, are you saying that won't be helpful? No, in fact, and spoiler alert, I'm about to tell you to do some things as we get to the next point and talk about the principles, but but uh, not in this way. You say, well, I, I want to love God. I know that I need to walk on this journey. I knew I, I, knew I need to, to do things. What, what do I do? Well, here's, here's my encouragement to you. What I'm saying right now is don't pursue obedience in your flesh. You say, well, that doesn't help me. <laughs> How can I tell if I'm pursuing obedience in my flesh? There's a lot of ways, but one question I ask you is this. As you pursue obedience to God, are you experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in your life or the fruit of the flesh? So for example, uh, even just in my own life this past week, one of the things that I think that a holy person should do, a person who's pursuing holiness, is, is be involved in ministry. And yet, this last week, even as, as I was doing ministry, oftentimes I realized, you know what, I, I'm doing this in the flesh because I'm experiencing the, the fruit of the flesh. I'm not experiencing joy in this. I'm, I'm experiencing kind of a, a sense of, of overwhelmness. I'm experiencing a sense of, of stress and of, of lack of peace. And, and this is not the things the fruit of the Spirit does. I'm pursuing this in my flesh and not in the Spirit. I'm pursuing, uh, I'm not using the means of grace that God has given me. I'm, I'm giving myself rules, or I'm, I'm saying, look, I need to do these things. If I, I do these things, then I'll be holy. And that's simply not how God calls us to pursue the Christian life. Let me get to the second principle, or second statement, and then some other principles, and maybe I'll help flesh this out. Second principle, number two, God alone can sanctify you in the present, just as he alone could save you in the past. So again, Paul's going to talk about the past to help them understand their present, he said, look, you couldn't save yourself in the past, and you can't sanctify yourself in the present. God is the one who saved you in the past, and he alone is the one who can sanctify you in the present. He asks the last question here. He asks this question. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he talks about what God did in the past. He said, what, what, what has God done in the past with, 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 present, with present effects? Well, first of all, he supplied the Spirit. It's, it's God who supplied the promised Spirit. It's the Spirit that he promised in Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, God said, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a, 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 the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey 
my rules. So God has, has given them the Spirit. Also, God worked miracles through the Spirit. And he's the one who supplies those things. So it's not like the Galatians said, okay, we want miracles, and so we're going to do these things. We want new life, and so we're going to do these things. God provided that alone through the Spirit. What's the implication for sanctification? The same way he supplied the Spirit is what he's going to do now. He's going to provide the Spirit, who is the only one who is able to help you to do the things that you need to do in your Christian life. You say, okay, a holy person talks this way, and a holy person thinks this way, and a holy person acts this way towards others, and a holy person does this. So how how do I do those things? I do those things through the the provision of the Spirit who can do miraculous things within the human heart. In verse 6, he says it's the same way that Abraham responded to God through faith. It's the same way that we respond. And we'll talk more about verse 6 next week as well. In other words, what's the means by which we pursue holiness? We don't pursue it through works. We don't achieve holiness through our works, but through faith. Let's, let's try to draw out some principles to help us put all this together. And before we look at these principles, let me just acknowledge a tension here, okay? It's a tension, In Scripture, we see that God calls us to pursue holiness, and at the same time, we see that God is the one who supplies holiness. So, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So in in that passage, who's the one who does the sanctification? I'm here, I need to be here. Who's the one who does it? It's, it's God. He says, may, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so who's in charge of sanctification there? Well, it's, it's God. And so sometimes in the past, you know what people have done? People have said, okay, God's in charge of sanctification. I, I can't work for sanctification. So there's, there's a phrase that people, I'm going to let go and let God. I'm just going to hang back. God, do your thing. God's going to do this. Waiting for struggling with the flesh, all this. But God, you know, let go, let God. That rightly understood that that God was in charge of this process, but but it it doesn't take into account other passages like Hebrews twelve fourteen, where where the writer of Hebrews says this: He says, "Strive for holiness. So strive for peace with everyone, and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord." In other words. I have a responsibility to not just remain stationary and saying, well, God's, God's in charge of sanctification. The scripture tells me I need, I need to strive after holiness. I need to pursue the spiritual disciplines. I need to be striving for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So how do those things go together? How is God in charge of this? And I can't work for sanctification. What do I need to do? What, how do I need to think about this? Philippians 2, I think, there's a guideline for us as we kind of draw out some principles. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation without fear and trembling. Why? 
So, so he's talking there about, I believe, the process of sanctification. You know, continued, that this salvation you have, continue to, to see it worked out in your life. He says, and then Philippians 2.13, For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God does a divine work in our hearts to allow us to, to do the things that he desires us to do for his pleasure. Let me kind of draw out some principles that maybe help us think rightly about sanctification. What do I do to pursue holiness? Number one, if, if I can't do it by works, if God's in charge of all this, and the same God who, who saved me in the past can sanctify me in the present, number one is this. I need to continually come to Christ in his word by faith. In other words, I don't come to the works. I don't say, okay, here are the works I need to do. I need to be a, a person who, who speaks great. And so I'm just going uh, to put a, a dollar in the jar every time I, I cuss. And I'm going to um, you know, snap the rubber band on my wrist every time I say an unkind word to a small child. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to do these, these things in order to achieve holiness. As I encounter myself where I am and where I need to be, what do I do? I come to Christ, I say, okay, I need to, to come to you and understand who you are and believe what your word says about you. Jesus would pray this on our behalf. He would say, Father, sanctify them. Prepare them to be holy, to be devoted to your glory. How? He says, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What do I need to do? I need to go to God's word to understand the world around me rightly. If I'm not understanding the world around me rightly, I don't think rightly about materialism. And I don't think rightly about sexuality. And I don't think rightly about pride. And I don't think rightly about anger. I don't think rightly about my speech. I don't think rightly about my relationships. I don't think rightly about my parenting. What do I need to do? I need to come to Christ and say, okay, I'm coming to you by faith, not by my works. I'm coming to you in your word sanctify me. I, I don't mean this false modesty, uh, but I, I have never given a sermon where I've been like, nailed it. Yeah. That includes this one. <laughs> where I'm going to get down and say, you know what? From a human perspective, wow, I'm an amazing communicator. I've, I've never felt that way. What do I believe? I believe that our time together on a Sunday morning is effective not because I'm a gifted communicator, but because God's word is powerful. And I believe as we go to God's word together, there's going to be fruit that is born in your life that isn't the result of me communicating things clearly, but the work of the spirit in your life as you come to his word and you believe it. You come to it by faith and you see Christ in it. In other words, sometimes uh, we, we tell people, read their Bibles. We told the, the, the youth in Sunday school this morning as we're answering questions, read your Bible. Why did we tell them that? Because we believe if you, if you read your Bible, it's a work you do and you become holy. No, because we believe that as a, as a young person comes to God's word and rightly understands by faith who God says that they are and who he is, they'll see his beauty and be sanctified. Second encouragement, number two, continually yield yourself to the ministry of the Spirit by faith. promise of scripture is that the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer will continue to sanctify him. Romans 8 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The process of sanctification takes place as the Holy Spirit, he's going to convict us of sin. He's going to let us know the things given by God. He's going to illumine the word of God. He's going to help us pray, Romans 8.26. He's going to assure us, Romans 8.16. He's going to fill, him, fill us with himself, Ephesians 5.18. So what does, it, what does that mean? It means that I'm not trying to do some things in order to, to become holy. It means right now I recognize where I am, and I say I believe what God's word says concerning the Spirit, and I'm going to yield to the Spirit working in my life. I'm going to allow him to convict me of sin, and as conviction of sin comes, I'm going to yield myself to the ministry of the Spirit and believe what he's saying about my sin. As the Spirit uh, prompts me to, to read his word, I'm going to, to read the word and by faith believe that the Spirit is going to help me understand. I'm going to yield myself to his ministry as I, I, I pray and ask God to help me be obedient to it. A third principle here, continually consider yourself dead to sin and put sin to death, not by works, but by faith. Romans 8, 13 again says, if you live according to the Spirit, this is a very important verse, Romans eight thirteen. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, I'm not a legalist. I'm not a person who says, okay, um, I'm not supposed to, to engage in an inappropriate relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and so I'm going to uh, you know, uh, believe that if I am in this place by 8 o'clock and I do this thing and if I do this thing and if I have this accountability, if I do all those things, then I'll be holy. No, that's, that's not how I understand rules. I'm going to say, okay, in, in Christ, I believe what we looked at last week. I believe that Galatians 2.20 is the truth. I believe that I have died. And my, I believe that I've been crucified with Christ. And because I believe that, I'm going to continue to, to consider myself dead to sin. And it's not the rules that are going to slay sin. I believe that Christ has slayed sin. I'm united with him in his death, and I'm dead to those things. And therefore, as I encounter sin in my life, I'm going to say, okay, I believe in Christ that I'm dead to those things. And so by faith, not by works, but by faith, I'm going to put those things aside. I'm going to believe that what God has said about those things is true, that they're not where life is, that they're not where joy is, that they're not where happiness is. I'm going to pursue the glory of God and not the things that lead to death. Sometimes in my Christian life, as I've been trying to put to death the things of the flesh, I've owned a TV. Sometimes I've made the decision not to own a TV for a period of time. Sometimes I've, I've made a decision about what types of music I'm going to listen to. Sometimes I've made different decisions, but all of those things are done, counting myself dead in Christ. Fourth principle, continually consider yourself alive in Christ and live in him. We talked about this last week. All the resources I need as I pursue obedience, I believe by faith, are mine in Christ. The complete righteousness that Jesus Christ has, I believe I now have access to. And so as I encounter myself where I am and where I need to be, I say, okay, I believe that in Christ I have the ability to walk in obedience to God. And so I'm going to continually, continually meditate upon that and think upon that as I pursue walking in obedience to God, not on the basis of my work, saying, okay, God, find these works acceptable, but believing that I'm in Christ and pursuing obedience in him. And then finally, I'm going to continually pursue obedience to God through the Spirit by faith. You say, well, how is obedience by faith different than obedience by works? 
It's different this way. When I'm pursuing obedience by works, I often doubt my own sinfulness and I doubt God's goodness, right? As I'm pursuing obedience by, by works, I have this, and I may not say it this blatantly, but I have this belief that, that I in, my, in myself have the ability to do what it takes to make God happy with me. But even as I do those things, in the, in the back of my mind, I doubt that joy is found in, in God. So in other words, I might make the decision, I'm going, to, um, I'm going to, to wear a certain type of clothing, okay, or not wear a certain type of clothing. But as I do that, I, I doubt that I'm going to be happy in that. I, I'm doing this thing to, to achieve an end, but, but the means itself is not going to be joyful. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm going to do these things, but these things aren't happy things. They're hard things, they're unpleasant things, and I'm doing them because I have to do them to get to here. The obedience by faith says something different. The obedience by faith says, okay, I'm doing these things, and as I do them, I'm doing them by faith, believing that the things themselves are joyful things. That God's purpose for me in this obedience is not punishment, but I believe that he's a treasure. I believe that in him there's life and there's joy, and this path of obedience is a path upon which treasure lies. I do these things as I believe what Jesus has said about himself. I believe that these things are where joy is found. I believe that the Spirit is enabling me to do these things to, to help me strive in obedience to him. And when I find myself disobedient, I don't look to my flesh and say, okay, deeper resolve. I cry out to God and say, okay, God, I'm struggling. Help me believe that this is where joy is found and help me pursue obedience as I see the value of Jesus and him and him alone as superior in my life. I talked to a person recently who was struggling with discouragement. They said, okay, here, here's what I'm doing, Daniel. I'm I'm reading the Psalms. I'm fighting to continue to believe that these things are true. I'm crying out to God for his help. In other words, this person was saying, I'm not saying I'm just going to get better. I'm just going to be happy. The person was saying, I, I believe that God is the one who can sanctify me. He's the one who can bring me to where I need to be. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be holy? What has been true of us in the past is true of us in the present. Just as you and I do not have the resources in and of ourselves to save ourselves, you and I do not have the resources to sanctify ourselves, you and I don't have the ability in and of ourselves to move ourselves one iota along the spectrum of holiness. But the same God who had the ability to save us in the past is the only one who has the ability to sanctify us in the present to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus, through his miraculous provision of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the work of the Spirit who enables us to, to walk in obedience. Help us to yield ourselves to the Spirit as we pursue, as we strive to be obedient. And in our striving, help us to see the, the joy in that, in that striving itself by faith, believing that the things that we're doing are things that you allow us to do and things that you do because you love us. Help us see the treasure of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.